actually, because of some things that happened this morning across at the hotel, Tommy's going to change his name to Bubbles. <laughs> Tommy will explain what that's all about. So welcome, Tommy. It's great to have you here. Just come up and do what you do. It's good to have you. Can we just give him a big round of applause? No, yeah, well, we'll give them an applause now in case at the end you think it's rubbish and you don't want to clap, so. I've never been introduced as Bubbles. <laughs> it sounds like a, a children's hippo game or something. I'm not sure. What he's referring to is I, I've... I've spent most of my life itinerating and traveling and ministry. There are years I've spent 200 nights a year in a hotel. But I've never had happen to me what happened this morning. And since he brought it up, I might as well tell you. I've had hotel, I've stayed in, in remote hotels in the bush in Africa when you to call it a hotel was stretching the word to the furthest extent of its uh, believability and you kind of prepare for those things and you you know it's it's no big deal one hotel we were in when my wife turned on the faucet in the bathtub a lizard came out of the faucet and, uh she decided she didn't need a bath <laughs> uh, and it was alive but uh, this morning I was taking a shower and just had my hair all soaked up and the water went out. And it's, I mean, I've had water go out, but just never at that moment. And what do you do? I called pastors. That's what, when you have a problem, you call the pastor. He called the hotel. They couldn't fix it. it they said, uh, I, I don't even know if they know what the problem was, but about about uh, 10.30 or so, I finally got enough water pressure to at least get the soap off of me. And the problem was that mostly what came out at that point was hot. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever danced around and tried to... But it, there were no bubbles, I can tell you that much. <laughs> A lot of steam, but no, no bubbles. And uh, they finally got it on, and I'm here, and all's good. Amen. I wish I could tell you that that's the worst problem I've ever had in my life. Wouldn't you like to have a story and say that that's that's the worst I've ever had? Uh, I've never had it happen like that, but we've all faced things much worse. It's good to be back with Pastor Brian and Allison and all of you good folk. And I'm uh, I, I'm on a and the, this is I'm in the middle of the longest trip I've ever taken. And I've preached in seventy countries. I've you know I told you I just mentioned how often I'm in hotels, but this trip is almost six weeks long. And the funny thing about it is my wife is in charge of my schedule. I've been, I've been pondering that. Is she trying to tell me something? I'm, I'm almost ready to call and say, can I come home now? But the way the conference um, schedules fell, the places I needed to speak, I did have about three days off last week, but by the time you fly back home for one day, you're there one day and you fly back, that's not really rest. So I took a little bit of rest and uh, went to visit my roots. I, uh, we, we discovered in the past four years or five years maybe we've been researching it that our family actually came from England, suspected it because of our last name, but... Uh, discovered that they came from a little place about eight miles north of Hull called Rowley. 
And they immigrated to America, and well, it wasn't even America then. In 1638, they left. Arrived there in 1639, and they left with their Puritan pastor, who was upset that King Charles was having him read the book of sports in church. Uh, he didn't believe in target practice or, or dancing on Sunday. And I mean, it's one thing to leave a church, but it's another thing to leave a continent and say, no, I'm, I'm mad, I'm gone, I'm out of here. But that's what they did. And we traced our history. I went and spent three days and went back into the actual church and saw the baptismal font where my ancestor was baptized. And it's, it's good to revisit history. But I, I'm not here to live in my history. I'm here to make my future. Amen? How many of you want to have a good day tomorrow? Okay. I, I'm, I'm checking. I want to share something with you from the book of First Samuel. Thank you for your openness, Brian and if you're going to call me Bubbles, I'm going to call you Mr. Pink. <laughs> Touche. The, uh, there are some stories in the Bible that we, we learn from and we try to emulate what they did so we can do the same thing. And there's, uh, that, that for the most part, we, we pick characters out of the Bible and we hold them up as role models and we say, I want to do what they did. But there are also lessons in the Bible that are quite different. And you can actually learn what not to do by some stories in the Bible. And I would have to tell you that there are times in life that knowing what not to do is often more important than knowing what to do. And the, the story that I'm going to refer to today is actually one of the most, uh, ha has the most, probably the most negative aura about it of, of, of maybe any story in the Bible. It takes place in, the, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, where uh, Samuel is coming on the scene, but he's still in chapter 3. He's just that small boy that has to sort out whether it's Eli's voice or whether it's the voice of God that's talking to him. Then by chapter 4, Israel is in a bit of trouble. But you actually discover in chapter 4 why God was calling Samuel onto the scene. Because normally the... The role of the priesthood was handed down from father to son, and most of the time that seemed to work pretty good. But in this case, as you're going to discover, it wasn't working really good. The, uh, the, Samuel is, is a unique character in the Bible. It's a, this, the books of first and second Samuel are actually, actually transition books for the whole Bible because before Samuel, the primary way that God dealt with his people was through the priesthood. That's the voice that spoke loudest in the ear of his people. That wasn't the only voice, but that was the loudest voice. After the book of Samuel, the priests still are in existence and doing their job, but God begins to use the prophets. And he begins to that's the voice that speaks loudest. Not the only voice, but the one that speaks loudest. And to bridge that change and transition and how God was doing it and how He was going to do it, we find this unique character of Samuel who was both a priest and a prophet. And yet, he's not on the scene. And you're going to discover in chapter 4 why it was imperative that he start, uh, he start taking his place. 
the beginning of chapter 4 is that Israel's in a, in a battle. They're, they're in a fight with their perennial enemies, the, uh, the Philistines. And normally, uh, what you do when you're in trouble is you call for God. Is that right? And normally what happened, God would come and He would uh, deal with their problems. He would deal with their enemies and they would be okay. Battles were fought in strange ways in those days. I'm not really sure why they would do it, but on this first day of the battle, uh, Israel lost 4,000 men. By the way, there's several things I want to emphasize to you today. Uh, one is what not to do. T- tell, tell your friend that's beside you, tell them, don't, don't do this. Don't, don't do it. Don't, just, just don't. I'm advising you don't do it. The other thing that I want us to learn besides what not to do is, I, I guess I could be trite and say what to do, but you can do the opposite. My, my, one, of, one of the most frightening experiences in my life was when I was teaching one of my daughters how to drive, and she, it keeps you praying. And she confused which foot controlled which, the brake or the accelerator. And uh, we stopped when we should have started. And then in a panic, we started when we shouldn't have stopped. So sometimes by learning what not to do, it's like, don't push that button. My, uh, my little grandson, I have a grandson now that's five years old, and and he, he, he likes to be in the kitchen when they're cooking. And I, I don't know why, but he's just curious about the whole process of it. And, uh, when he, when he was about, oh, three and a half, I kept telling him, don't, don't play by the stove. Don't, don't do. And, uh, they had set a pot that was still a little bit hot over on the counter. And I happened to be in, and I saw, you know how you can look at a three-year-old and you know what they're about to do. You know it. You can just see it. I I saw the little wheels turning in his mind like, I want to play. Because he loved to get the pots out and he beat on them like they're drums and he's got all kind of toys, but you know how kids are. They go through phases. And it was like, they've been. I want that pot because whatever they were doing, you know, he wants to do. And uh, it had been... It really didn't have anything left in it. They'd already taken it off the fire and poured the things out of it, but the pot was still hot. And I, I, I started to say, don't do that. Don't touch that. But I did a mental calculation. Okay. It, it's, it's been off the fire long enough. It, it's going to burn him, but it's not going to be bad. It, it's, it's just going to. And so I, I intentionally, I know I'm a cruel grandfather. But I intentionally said nothing because I had told him over and over again, don't, don't touch that. Don't, don't play with those things. And I thought, you know what? I can't get him to learn by listening. So he's just needs to learn by action. And I watched as he took the pot and it was all okay because he grabbed it by the handle, but then he took his other hand and grabbed the pot and I saw the look on his face like, <gasps> and then there's this wail. And, I, and then I had to say, let go, because he, he was in a, in a panic of what to do. And then I had to run cold water. And no, he didn't get a blister. It wasn't even that hot. All you grandmothers and moms are looking at me like I'm a child abuser or something. <laughs> no, he, he, but you know what? He, he doesn't play around the stove anymore. In fact, I can't recall him ever even getting the pots and pans out and playing the drums on them since then. It's like, I don't want to be anywhere close. It's like my dad said one time about, they had a cat that 
would walk across the kitchen counters and they were always trying to get it to stop and it would walk across when the, when the stove was cold and one day it walked across it when the stove was hot never jumped on the counters again <laughs> just wouldn't even it just looked at the stove like i'm not getting close to you sometimes we 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 don't learn by lesson so we learn by living so here's what i want you to do today i want you to take a lesson from this and Actually, what I want you to do is to learn what not to do. In this battle, on the first day, they're having a bad day. Anybody here ever had a bad day? I've had bad months. I had a bad morning this morning, come to think of it. I've had, I've had bad years. I know all of you are so spiritual. You've never had seasons in your life that were tough. Hallelujah. Last year, I broke my leg at the beginning of the year. Uh, I wish I could tell you I broke it mountain climbing or hang gliding or something. I was preaching a Russian conference and got up to go to the, the toilet in the middle of the night and the bedspread had slipped off the end of the bed and I walked by, caught my leg in it. One leg went under the bed and twisted, and it just—it was, yeah. Thank you. I, I needed that sympathy. Had a bad day. So, uh, for for seven months or so, you know, I was in the boot. I I kept preaching and then walking with a stick and getting getting all back into it. And I'm I'm doing good now, but. I have to say, is it a pattern for you guys around here to uh, uh, st stay up to welcome the new year in? Do you do that? Do you do that? I stayed up this year also. Not so much to welcome the new year in as to make sure the old year left. You've, you've had those times? I've had days so bad that I went to bed early so tomorrow would come quicker. <laughs> Part of what I want you to learn today is what not to do on a bad day. Because you, you can prolong bad seasons and bad days. And we're going to learn from this lady. Israel is, they're having a bad day. They, they go to battle. They, they lose 4,000 soldiers on the first day. I don't know about you, but that's that's a pretty bad day. Four thousand soldiers uh, is roughly equivalent to all the soldiers that the United States has lost in Iraq and Afghanistan over the past decade, and they lose that many in one day in a nation that was infinitesimally smaller at that point. That this was a huge hit on the nation to lose four thousand men. And the, the way they fought battles, as I was beginning to say a few moments ago, when, when they would fight, I, I, I guess when the sun went down, they would say, someone would blow a whistle and say, okay, time out, let's stop. And then they would pick up the fight in the morning. I don't know how they did that. Like, okay, in the morning, I'll meet you right here. I was fighting you. You had one sword and I had the, a, a, a spear and we'll, we'll, I'll meet you in the morning. Eight o'clock, good for you? If, if I were losing a battle, I wouldn't show up the next day. <laughs> they lost 4,000 men on the first day. And then the next day, they go into battle. And in verse 10 of chapter 4, it says that 30,000 of Israel fell that day. 30,000 footmen. Now... If you, if you don't think things are rapidly getting worse, when one day it's 4,000, the next day it's 30,000. And here's what happened in between the 4,000 and the 30,000. On that night, when Israel sort of regrouped and said, hey guys, we're in trouble, we, we need some help for tomorrow, they called for the priest to, I mean, when I didn't have hot water, I called Pastor Brian. When they lose 4,000 on the first day, they call for the priest. Only at this point, remember, Samuel's not on the scene yet. He's a young boy. Eli is still the high priest, but we'll read a few verses later. He's 98 years old. 
And because he's so old and he can't get around very good, he's depending on his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Say that with me. Say Hophni. Say Phinehas. What mother in their right mind <laughs> would name your, your son Phineas? Have you ever met anyone named Phineas? I just want to know. Maybe in the UK that's a common. I've never. What about Hofni? And perhaps you now understand why you don't run into, when you find out what these characters were like, you'll understand why people don't name their children after them. Now, ironically, Samuel, we probably all know a Samuel. It's a very common name because his actions were heroic. Even Eli, at his aged state, my, uh, I've got a little nephew named Eli. It, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty common name, I would say. But Hophni and Phinehas... I mean, when you realize, when I tell you in a minute all the things that they did that were just hard. First, let's, let's just talk about it. They were priests, but they were priests in name only. They loved the power and they loved the prestige, but they didn't enjoy the intimacy. They didn't enjoy the worship. They loved the authority and the badge that came with being the assistant high priest, but they, they didn't love God. And when you read about all their actions, which we won't even take time to get into, they were leading Israel astray. And perhaps the very reason that Israel is in this dilemma today is because God had said, okay, I am not going to tell you don't do that anymore. I'm going to let you touch the hot thing. I'm going to let you face the problems by yourself and deal with them. They called for... Hophni and Phinehas to said, you, you, you need to get God. We, we, we lost four thousands. We, normally we pray God comes, but now you, you have to, it's, it's emergency. I don't know exactly how that went down, but I have my own imagination and I write books, so please excuse it for a moment. But Hophni, Phinehas, they get off the phone with the front lines of the battle and they said, Hey, uh, they, they need God. We need God on the battle, in the battlefield. And he said, uh, Phineas, do, do you, do you have his number? Phineas said, I've got it, but the last time I called, it just went straight to voicemail. He's got caller ID and he knows who we are. I don't know how that went down. Maybe they used a landline because it's so long ago. But they knew that they needed to get God on. In our lives, we don't want just God at church on Sunday. I need God with me in the battlefield on Monday, facing the problems I'm facing on Tuesday. And what they said is, we need God. And Hophni and Phinehas said, uh, okay, how are we going to do this? God won't talk to us. And they concocted this scheme, this idea that what we're going to do is we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant to the battlefield. Really, it was an unprecedented action. It was normally the Ark of the Covenant was in the uh, tabernacle at Shiloh at this point. And we're going to take it to the battlefield because we need God there. So we, we, we'll just take His chair. Because essentially... How many of you know a, a bit about the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, Harrison Ford. Gotcha. Okay, I knew. If I couldn't get you in the Bible, I could get you with the movies. You, you got it. It's a gold-covered box with two angels on top of it. And between the arched wings of those angels, that area is called a mercy seat. If it's a mercy seat, that means somebody sits there. And the one who sits there is the one who dispenses mercy. Basically, what Hoffman and Phineas are saying, we don't know exactly how to get God on location, but if we take his chair, then when he looks for a place to sit down, 
by default, he's in our problem and he'll help us. I mean, I understand their thinking, but there's a major miscalculation there. And the miscalculation is that that's God's only chair. And the truth is, He's got a throne in heaven. And if He doesn't like where you put His chair, then He says, you can have it. I don't want you to attach power to the symbol. The power was not in the Ark of the Covenant. The power was in the presence of God. But they thought that by moving the Ark, and in fact, when you read, read all of this, that when the Ark of the Covenant arrived in the camp, the Bible in chapter 4 here says that Israel shouted so loud that the earth shook. They were excited. Whoa! We're going to win! And it so disturbed the Philistine camp that they sent a spy to check out, what are they all excited? They're having a party. We, we, we whipped up on them yesterday and now they're, what's, something's up. They send a spy who peeks up over the hill and he sees them all dancing and he sees the Ark of the Covenant. And, uh, this is a pretty interesting verse here. Verse seven, uh, verse six, it says, when they heard the noise, verse seven, the Philistines were afraid and they said, God is come into the camp. Woe unto us. You know it's bad when they say woe. It's really bad. <laughs> woe unto us. This has never happened before. They said it again. Woe unto us. Who's going to deliver us? And then the leader of the Philistines gives a speech to his men in verse 9. Be strong and quit yourselves like men. In other words, okay, you're going to die tomorrow but die like men. Why? That God's there. The Ark of the Covenant's there. That means God is there and we're going to lose. What an interesting thing this is that Israel thinks they're going to win. The enemy thinks they're going to lose. But on the next day, 30,000 Israelites die. You know that Sometimes you can be so convinced you're going to win that you even convince the devil. But if you have put your faith in the wrong thing, uh, I, I guess the lesson is here. Never mistake the furniture for his presence. Oh, I'm preaching good. Never mistake the pulpit for His presence or the keyboard for His presence or the guitar. Or just because you have a cross on the wall, that doesn't mean that God's necessarily with you. Those are symbols and those are represent what we're supposed to do. The truth is, if Israel had done what the ark represented, two angels, that's unity. Worshipping, if they had worshipped on the battlefield, they could have gotten God there without bringing His chair he would have gotten out of his chair to come check on them. But if you just move his chair, that's not the way to do it. And God wasn't there. They lost the battle the next day, even when the enemy was convinced. So I'm going to say it again. Never mistake the furniture for his presence. Put it in perspective. What if you were in the hospital? You, you, you had a problem. You were... Some kind of disease or illness or accident struck you and, and you called Pastor Brian and said, I, I need you, to, I need God to intervene here. And he says, okay, hold on, I'm calling the guys. We're bringing, bringing the pulpit to the hospital. <laughs> Just hold on, we'll be right there. And he gets a couple of his guys and they carry the pulpit, set it up in the room and say, you'll be fine now, see you. The reason we're laughing is because it's preposterous. The, the pulpit is not... I don't need the pulpit, Pastor. I need God. Israel's misplaced faith caused them to lose a battle that they didn't have to lose. I love church, but don't put your faith in church. I'm going to tell you, don't even put your faith in, in people. 
even if they're pastors, put your faith in God's presence. Hophni and Phinehas showed up with all their priestly regalia on. We're here. The ark is here. All is well. Meanwhile, God says, I've been trying to tell you, don't touch it. And now they're in a position where they lose 30,000 soldiers. Now, uh, and uh, Hophni and Phinehas, look at uh, verse 14. This is, this is a messenger bringing the news to Eli of this bad day. Everybody say it was a bad day. 4,000 escalates to 30,000. And, let's read it. Eli heard the noise of the crying and a man came hastily and told him. Verse 15, Eli is 98 years old. And his eyes were dim. He couldn't see. And the man said to Eli, I came from the army. I fled today. And Eli said, what happened there, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's been a great slaughter among the people. We even know it told us earlier how many. And your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. This day's getting worse. The, the 30,000, then Hophni and Phinehas, the two assistant high priests, are killed, who happen to be Eli's sons. They're dead. And the last line, and the ark of God is taken. Uh, first of all, that lets me know that just because you have the ark doesn't mean you have God. I mean, quite honestly, if God had been sitting on the mercy seat, do you really think the Philistines could have stole his chair? That, if that's God calling, tell him I sent, left a message this morning also. <laughs> so, now when, when Eli hears this news, verse 18... He made mention of the ark of God. Eli fell off his seat backward by the side of the gate and broke his neck and died. Just, this day is getting worse. 30,000, Hophni Phinehas, ark stolen. Eli, the 98-year-old priest, when he hears the news, he's so shocked by it, he falls backwards off his chair and breaks his neck. The Bible says, For he was an old man and heavy. When I read that, I just want to go on a diet. Because it's one thing to be old, but I mean, both of these kind of apply to me. I, I guess the, the, the moral is don't sit on your chair. But. So this, this day is really just traumatic. This is a terrible day. But what we're learning now is what not to do on a bad day. And the next verse takes us a little deeper into the story. And, and this is the lady that, this is the, this is the verse I want you to leave here today with. Because what this lady did, we don't know her name. All we know is it's Phineas's wife. What I'm about to read to you, what she did, don't do that. I'm, I'm, and his daughter-in-law, now Eli just heard the news. He fell off the chair, broke his neck. And so they go to tell the news to Phineas and Hophni's wife. And I guess, uh, Phineas' wife is the first one that they come to. And so Eli's daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child. She's pregnant and near to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was taken, that her father-in-law... Imagine them telling you, we, we have some bad news. First of all, we lost 30,000. <gasps> she says, oh, it's kind of like, like this, because she's pregnant. <gasps> no. And, and uh, the ark is captured. No. And uh, I hate to tell you this, but Eli, your father-in-law, just fell off his chair and died. And, and your husband is dead. That's a, that's a bad day. I don't really know how you can have a worse day than that. 
So this is the worst possible. But here, here's, the, here's the, 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 the life lesson for us. Watch what she does. And then I want to give you some instruction. When they told her that news, the same news that knocked her father-in-law off his chair and killed him, she went into labor. She bowed herself and travailed for her birth pains came upon her. And now verse 20, and about the time of her death. <laughs> this is terrible. But she died. And here's what's interesting. Initially, for years, I thought, well, she died in childbirth. That, that, that could happen. But notice what the women around her are saying. They're, they're not, not, they're not, you know, these are midwives. These are ladies that when, when, when someone's about to have a baby, they call them in and they're, they're, they're there to help with the birthing process. And the verse 20 said, the women around her stood by her and said, fear not, you have born a son. In other words, I believe that these wise women properly diagnosed her problem. It wasn't the birthing process. It was the fear that had gripped her. And they're trying to tell her, look, okay, I know you've had a bad day. I know, I know about the 30,000. We, we know about your father-in-law, and we're sorry about your husband. But look, you have a baby boy. And you, you would think that, I mean, the birth of a baby brightens up any situation. I mean, babies just make people smile. They, have you ever seen a, a grown, mature man that speaks proper English get around a little baby? He started talking like this, and you did it. What? What? Why? It's just babies. They just they make they make people smile. They're cute. They they toddle around, and especially a newborn who's laid in the arms of its mother. You would have thought that it would have said she would have said something to herself like, "Okay, I I have to I have to make sure this baby is cared for." and taken care of, and, and given a good future, and I've had a bad day, but now I have something to live for. I've got this child. That's the normal reaction of a mother. But this woman is so locked into her bad day. She is enjoying her bad day, and she will not be disturbed. The Bible says she wouldn't, look at verse 20, she wouldn't answer them, and she wouldn't regard it. She wouldn't even pay attention to the baby. Didn't say that she couldn't. Doesn't say that she was too weak. She just wouldn't. Wouldn't answer them. Wouldn't, wouldn't deal with the baby. She, she's just, it's like, I'm having a bad day and you are not going to disturb me. Have you ever met people that just enjoy their misery? Don't look around right now. My, look straight, straight at me. Don't look to, if you ever ask those people, how are you doing? You better pull up a chair. It's going to be a long conversation. Because they're going to tell you how it's doing and how it's not doing and, and everything. Because they, they're, just, they're, they're those kind of people. That if the sun is shining for everybody else, there's one rain cloud over their head and it's raining on them. And, and, and there, no, don't give me an umbrella. It's like I'm locked in. Somehow she got so locked in that even the birth of a baby, her own baby, couldn't pull her back. They didn't say that she died from the birth. It's, I think these women diagnosed, they said, she's, she's so fearful. We, we have to, and they're trying to cheer her up. Look, you got a baby, you got a baby boy. When she finally spoke, verse 21, the Bible says she named the child Ichabod. We've all heard that phrase. That's why I said this is one of the most negative stories of the Bible. Because Ichabod is kind of just icky. It's, it's bad. And all the things that happened before it's bad. And she dies. And then... She names this boy Ichabod and saying, the glory is departed from Israel. And 
what is it about those? It's like the moment she named the child, she died. Because she had to name it. It's like when she finally spoke, and all the women around her are watching, and they, they uh, see her suck in her breath and say, oh, she's going she's gonna to talk now. And she said, name that boy Ichabod. I can hear the nurses say, did I hear that right? Yes, Ichabod. It's bad enough that you married somebody named Phineas. Now, you're going to name this boy Ichabod. What are you going to call him for short? Ick? And then when you finally come to the understanding, uh, I, I, I read Spanish, I, I read a little bit of German, I've read this passage and, and virtually all of the, you know, all the words get changed because the language changes. But in all of those uh, those versions of the Bible, those translations, the word Ichabod is always the same. Because it's not a Spanish word. It's not an English word. It's a Hebrew word. And she named her son Ichabod. It's actually two words put together. Just like we take the word thing. This is a thing. That's a thing. This is a thing. And we put the word no in front of the word thing and no negates thing. So it's, it's no thing. I had a thing. Now I have no thing. Nothing. The word kabod. Would you like to learn a little Hebrew? I'm teaching it to you. The word kabod. Actually in Hebrew it's pronounced kavod. I leave tomorrow for a conference in Israel and I can't speak it in the same way that they are, but we've anglicized it in our in our way, vernacular of speaking to kabod. So the word kabod means glory, as in the glory of God. But when you put the prefix in front of it, it, it means none or absence. Or, so when you say kabod, that's glory of God. When you say it, it means no glory. So the 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 two words together one word is positive. Kabod, that's, that's good. The glory. Why didn't she just name her son Kabod? Not Kabob as in what you get on the streets here, okay? I, I could just see where your English minds were going. I... Kavod. Okay, we'll speak it in Hebrew. Kavod. Why, why didn't she name him that? Why did she have to put the it in front of it? Ichabod, no glory. She, she functionally named this boy, no God. God is dead. It's, it's as if she looked, because she's having a bad day, she looked into her future and said, this is such a bad day, the rest of my life is ruined. And she, it's like she spoke Ichabod because a baby represents her future. She spoke the absence of God over her future. And the moment she did that, her hope was gone and her life ended. I, I, I happen to have a strong opinion that if she had named this boy Kavod instead of Ichabod, if she had done, named him Kavod, then her life could have turned around. And, and I guess what I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning is just because you've had a bad day, that doesn't mean you're going to have a bad tomorrow. Just because you've had a bad, a bad experience last year doesn't mean that you're going to have a bad experience next year. And in fact, when I learned from this story, this boy went on to be in ministry. Do you know that? Ten chap this is, this is not the last time the boy Ichabod is mentioned. Ten chapters later in the 14th chapter, he shows up again, and he's with his cousin, Hophni's son, and they're involved doing something in the priesthood. So they're in ministry. <laughs> Can you imagine when he signs up for Bible school? Yes, what's your name, son? Uh, my name is God is Dead. <laughs> and you want to go to Bible school? Yeah, I can't help what they name me, but I'm, that's what I want to do. 
Think about that. He goes to perform his priestly duties. We ha we're so glad to have evangelist God is dead to here to preach for us today. Let's all clap as he comes. It's preposterous, but I mean, how do you live it down? But he is in ministry. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that it doesn't matter what other people name you. It matters what God calls you. They may have said God is dead, but God is dead is preaching the gospel. Would you, would everybody stand and welcome for our, our healing night tonight? Brother, God does not heal. How do you live that down? How do you get past that? But somehow he did. <laughs> Mr. Pink really likes that. <laughs> She died because she looked at her future and she spoke fear over her future. So if I can just leave you, I've dropped some, some concepts in your mind. If I can leave you with this phrase, don't let fear name your future. Oh, that's good. I wish somebody would post that on Twitter. I, I need to... I'm preaching so good I want to take notes on myself. <laughs> Don't let fear name your future. I mean, did you ever come down here and walk around? Is it okay? Okay, okay. Because sometimes we look at our life and, and we, we say, we extrapolate fear from the past and say, you know, it's always been that way for me. It's always going to be that way. And I came to break that curse off of you today. I came to tell you, you, you may have had a, a bad childhood, but that doesn't mean you have to have a bad life. You, you may have been mistreated. You may have had a bad month. You may have broke your leg last year, but I'm walking around on it this year. You can have a bad day. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is going to come in the morning. Don't let a bad day affect your future. So sometimes you may have to go to bed early to bring, to bring a close. I can see her say, I'm going to bed, okay? I'll see you in the morning. It can't be any worse tomorrow than it is today. But instead, her fear drew the curtains closed on her future. And if she had named her future according to her faith, Instead of according to her fears, what if she had named that boy Kavod? Kavod. I mean, it's less ink. It's easier to say. It's not as icky. And I think she would have lived because she would have pronounced faith over her future. Essentially, what I'm telling you is don't take the pen out of God's hand while he's still writing. Oh yeah, but it, 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 I, I, it's a bad day. It's just bad. How many of you like, you like uh, stories with bad endings? Anybody? I, I, I don't. Or, or movies with bad endings? I can't stand it. I fly a lot back and forth across the Atlantic and the other day I was flying, and I have uh, three daughters. They're grown now, but for the most part, and now I have grandchildren, so I either go watch girl movies with all my girls and my wife or, or uh, kid movies with the kids. I don't get to watch any He-Man, chase them up, shoot them up. You know, I don't get to watch any of that kind of stuff. It's just... So when I, when I catch up on movies on the plane, so I'm always about six months behind. And I was flying across, and there was a movie that was playing. I said, oh, that looks interesting. And I, I write books. I've written fiction books. One, anybody saw the movie One Night with the King? The, the story of Esther? You should check it out. It's based, 20th Century Fox did that based on one of my books. And I was involved in that process. So I've been, I am intrigued by how the screenwriter does the all of that and, and brings it into play. So I said, I want to watch this movie. 
And you know how movies go. Movies begin, you know, everybody, everything's doing fine. The, 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 the man and his wife are eating dinner. The kids are at the table. They're, they've done all their homework with no, no complaints. They're making good grades. The dog is not leaving deposits unnecessarily in the house. Uh, you know, it's, it's, life is good, okay? And that's how a movie starts with things are going along and suddenly there's crisis and then the crisis escalates and then it looks like it's going to get resolved and then, and then it doesn't and then it gets worse, you know, and they do this arc of good emotions and bad emotions and finally they resolve it and, and we say, oh, that was good. That, that felt good to something to work out. But then I'm watching this movie and they're, it's like they're all eating and the kids are well behaved. They have perfect table manners and, it goes bad, you know. I, I don't, I can't remember all the the details, but you know, the kids go crazy. Uh, the dog starts biting people. The roof leaks on the house. He loses his job. His wife leaves him, and you know, it takes about forty-five minutes for all those bad things to happen. Maybe an hour. And so now you got this guy, poor guy, and I'm I'm actually looking at my watch and saying, you know, our movies are about an hour and forty five. They've only got about thirty minutes to turn this thing around. Oh, and I'm thinking this is going to be good because what what we like about stories and movies is when the writer gets us into a corner where we see no logical way out, and suddenly there's a resolution, and it all it all works out. And the longer they can keep you at that edge, the better they are. Well, they had me out there. His wife's gone. The house burned. The do- his own dog bit him. I'm trying to just help you understand how bad it was. And now I'm looking, and it, this is going to be good. They got 15 minutes. If they, if this screenwriter can pull this off in 15 minutes, he's he's really good. And I'm watching it, I'm watching it, and he gets, then the man gets sick. Oh, so this is gonna, ten minutes, I, I'm, I'm estimating is left. And then he dies. And the movie ends, the credit starts rolling. I'm like, I'm a Pentecostal that needs Prozac. I, I'm depressed now. It's not supposed to happen that way. I'm, fr- I'm, I'm actually mad. I'm thinking, I wasted an hour and 45 minutes of my life. Now I'm going to have to look for cartoons on the movie so I can cheer myself up. Because I don't like bad endings. Do you know who else doesn't like bad endings? Your heavenly Father hates bad endings. In fact, He refuses to write a story with a bad ending. If it's bad, here's what my advice for you is. Hold on, it's not the end. I may, you may, but it may be the end of a chapter. It may be the end of a page. It could be the end of a season, but it's not the end. It's not the finality of all things. Because if it's not good, it's not the end. God has great plans for you. God has incredible plans for you. Hallelujah. The, 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 the concept is, don't let fear name your future. Let faith name your future. Look to your, yeah, but you don't know how bad it's been. The dog bit me. I'm not here to even commiserate. I'm sorry you've had a bad life. I'm sorry you've had, but I'm here to talk to you about the future. I'm here to tell you that it's not over. The only way it's over is if you take the pen out of God's hand and say, no, I quit. And fundamentally, when she named her boy Ichabod, it's like she took the pen out and said, Ichabod is on my future. It's over. She gave up on her her future. She, She said, there's no way God can resolve it. It's like me stopping the movie before it turns itself around. God does not write bad endings. 
Hallelujah. Uh, can you guys post a scripture up there? Can you do that? Jeremiah 29, 11. Doesn't matter what version. Uh, when I was a boy, I loved to read. Maybe that's why I turned into a writer. And uh, I, I, I was so, I, I'm the kind of person, I lose track of time. I, well, Gary? Greg. Greg came to pick me up yesterday, and I'd been doing interviews at UCB, and I was reading in, that morning, and I lost track of time because my wife, she reads 30 minutes, she gets sleepy, but I can literally, since I've been a child, I can read all night long. I often don't turn on TVs because I just like to read. But what was happening is I'm, I'm, you know, eight, ten years old, and I'm reading too late at night and hard to wake me up for school the next morning. And my parents realize it, so they come in, and my my dad says, son, you you, you got to go to bed. So I'll be reading in bed, and he'll come in and just say, time to go to bed. Flick, turns out the light. And I, I'm, I'm saying, dad... I can't sleep. I, Captain Bly is about to have a mutiny. Columbus, I don't know if he's going to make this journey. I mean, you know, I, I'm reading all these things. And, and he would say, son, you have to go to bed. I said, come on, Dad, give me five more minutes. Okay, I'll come back in five minutes. What I would do is I'd flip to the back of the book to see if they're... Oh, Columbus is still alive. He made it. Okay, I can sleep now. Can I tell you about this book that is the road map for our life? I've read the back of the book, and it says we win. It says that we are victorious. Now, if you stop reading the book before the end, you may stop on a bad chapter. You may quit when things are not good. But my advice for you is don't take the pen out of his hand. Let him keep... Don't put a period where God just put a colon. Don't, 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 don't end the book just because there's a bad page. Just keep reading. In fact, if I were to tell you that, that all of Samuel was like this, chapter 4, this is a terrible chapter out of the Bible, isn't it? But, 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 the, but the rest of... That's only the beginning. There's 1 Samuel. There's another whole book, 2 Samuel. And it's not like that. Because God is faithful to His people. And here's the concept. Do you know that everything that Israel lost on that day was recovered on subsequent days? They lost that battle, but they won that war. They, they lost the ark, but the... The Philistines said, we can't deal with that, and they sent it back free. They didn't even have to go fight for it. They, they, Eli died, Hophni and Phinehas died, but the priesthood continued. So everything that Israel lost on that day was restored on a subsequent day, only this woman was not alive to see it because she spoke fear over her future. I want to speak faith over you right now. Stand up. I want to speak. Tell somebody next to you, it's going to be a good week. In fact, just go, if you want to, just go ahead and tell them, this is going to be a good year. You, you, you got, did you get it up there? Oh, like, I like this. This is, this is how God does your future. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's God's plans for your life. Hallelujah. That's His Word. That needs to be your verse for this year. God has good plans. In fact, tell somebody next, God's got good plans for me. It's, it's going to be good. I, I'm excited. Oh, but I, I've had a bad year. But it's, uh, it's not over yet. I've got good plans. Stretch your hands toward me right now. I want to speak faith over you. Father, I speak over my friends here. I, 
I speak faith into their heart. I speak faith over their future, over their jobs, over their families, over their health, over their circumstances. I speak no fear. Father, if I could be like the midwives around as they give birth to their future, they were telling this woman, don't fear, everything's okay. And I'm speaking to these people, they are pregnant with purpose. They are expectant with dreams. And God has a good future. Lord, we hold you to your words that you have good plans for this church, for this city, for this community. We speak it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, Pastor. Hallelujah. Well, was that good or was that good? I'd like someone to come to the solicitors with me on Monday so I can change my name to Brian Pink. I might as well make it legal, mightn't I? That was great, Tommy. It's on the website if you want to hear it again. You can download it on the website, okay, because I want to hear it again. 